everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jeff Paulson, uh, sitting in a remote location of which I do not know where you are this week is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Hello, Mark. Hey, what's going on, Jeff and all of our listeners? Hey, I'm just kind of hiding out for a while until this... uh... Warrant blows over? Yeah, exactly. How do you know? Oh, man, you must be reading the... uh... You're in the newspapers? My tracking device on all of your, your devices has gone silent, so. Yeah, yep, that's it again, voiding another warrant, but uh, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I can get out of this one. <laughs> all right, well, as we like to do when we start this, uh, I will give you, Mark, a choice. We can, uh, once again, talk about baseball history. We've been doing that for a while now. Or I'm going to give you the option uh, for us to debate this topic. Would you rather have 100 trout-sized mics or one mic-sized trout? Wow, that's that's a tough call. Um, I don't feel comfortable and confident in making a decision on that, so I think we should go with the Baseball uh, History Podcast. Let's do that. I was leaning towards the one mic-sized trout, even though I think that would freak me out, but 100 yeah. trout-sized mics I think might just overpower me, but we're not yeah. going to go into that, so... Yeah, a mic-sized trout though could be a record. So if you're if you're into it, uh, we could talk about how to do it. I just don't know anything about it. So I think we should do baseball history. All right, that sounds yeah. good. So okay, let's. Good. Uh, we're going to start with a segment that we haven't uh, we haven't done for a couple of shows, but we we really need to address some things. So we're going to start with uh, a kangaroo court here to get us underway. Uh, a couple of things here that we're going to have to. To, to level some fines against both of us. First, uh, last week I talked about Mark Hendrickson because I am a proud graduate of Washington State University, as is Mark Hendrickson, the two-sport star from the, uh, I guess, the, the, the 2000s would be the best way to describe it. I said last week that he was the pitching coach at the Aberdeen Ironbirds. I have been informed that he is no longer the pitching coach with the Aberdeen Ironbirds. Uh, oh. He was let go. As I, I was also told Tim Raines was apparently a coach and let go. No kidding. Yeah. So wow, Tim Raines. Picky, man. I, so I guess we're going to have to, we're going to have to find somebody. I will take the hit. I'm going to find myself on that because he's a cougar. I'm going to find myself two cents for that because that was my two cents on that. that well, subject there. what was the name of the team again? The Aberdeen Ironbirds. That's the, the Cal Ripken owns them. The Aberdeen Ironbirds, and they won't sign any manager except for Joe Madden, apparently. <laughs> uh, I've got another one, though. Okay. Uh, the show that came out on the 13th, which was last week's show, uh, I gave the debuts in the debuts segment for the 11th, because that's when oh. we recorded oh. the show. <laughs> <laughs> I could see how that could happen. So it was a long week last week, but uh, I am going to uh, go ahead and I'm going to find myself again. I'm going to find myself $42.99 because that was just a ridiculous mistake. But since you also did not catch that mistake, oh. I'm going to find you $43. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. I can accept that. All right. Let's hopefully, hopefully we don't have to do the kangaroo court again for a while, but when 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 we get called out we got to bring it up and, and talk this is about true it. this is true so right now as we are recording there is a game going on in williamsport pennsylvania between the cubs and the pirates 
Of course, there were games earlier this year in Japan. There were games in London. They have uh, MLB has announced that next year they're going to be playing again in Puerto Rico and London again. And then they also announced this Field of Dreams game that's going to be played in the actual Field of Dreams, you know, cornfield where they shot the movie, you know, where there is an right. actual MLB sized field. I don't want to yeah. call it the, the Field of Dreams field because that sounds weird. But Yeah, I saw that. It looks like that's pretty fun. I think I like the idea of of letting other people in other communities and areas see what Major League Baseball is. You know, uh, I think it's fun. It's a way to expand the uh, fan base and uh, sell some sell some tickets, sell some merchandise, too. And merch. Yep. Now, see, I am kind of on the opposite spectrum here. I'm getting tired of these things. Yeah. I have one thing. One thing I really don't like is, you know, if if you want to make this, is keeping the sanctity of the schedule. If you're sending teams to play one-off games, one or two games on these fields and locations that are not normally meant for a major league team, I think it. I think it kind of puts the the game. It's almost as if the game is kind of a sideshow. Yeah. I, I am. I'm. I'm just getting tired of it. You know, if you want to do one in in you know one series in London, you know, a series in Japan, you know, Puerto Rico, the, the Hiram Botham Stadium is that's fine. But these one-off games in Williamsport and the Field of Dreams, and you know, are we going to do the Sandlot next? I mean, it's yeah. just it's a bit much for I me. I get I get what you're saying as far as being a bit of a sideshow for for a true baseball fan. We don't necessarily need to see that to get us to watch the game. But I think, as I said, I think it expands the fan base. Before we move on, I, the whole point of me bringing up the Field of Dreams things, I wanted to ask you a question. Okay. If you were able to bend the space-time continuum and play a series or a game, even just a one-off game, at a former venue or a fictional location, where, where would you do that? Now, is this something for everybody or just that I would want to see? For you, you're making the decision. So you are, okay. you with the snap of your fingers, you can send, you know, what if you want to send the Mariners and somebody to play anywhere for a, uh, let's call it a series because we can do that. We snap our fingers and do anything here. Okay. Where, where do you want to go? Where are you going to play? I think that what comes to mind is, is I'd like the 06 Cubs to play the 01 2001 Mariners. I think that would be fun to play at Ebbets Field or or the Polo Grounds. I think I'll go with yeah. the Polo Grounds. Yeah, oh, you took my answer because the, uh -oh. the the Polo Grounds just fascinates me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's very very interesting and, and different. Yeah, I would I would love to have been able to go to a game at the Polo Grounds. Yeah, I I don't care who plays there, but that was going to be my answer for the location was going to be the Polo Grounds. Well, you can have Ebbets Field. No, we can both. We can. Why don't we just? You pick your best. So you're gonna pick the 01 Mariners, and I'll take like the 90 A's. There you go. And we'll 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 go play a a, a seven game series since we're we're the bosses. Yeah. The okay. Program. I'm up for that. Let's do it. A couple of other things uh, as we go through here. Just saw a note that the Yankees this week clinched their 27th consecutive winning season. I yeah. mean, it sucks. It's the Yankees, but it does. But that's that's a record. I mean, that's impressive. I, I've been a baseball fan, really like a diehard baseball fan since 1986. So the, what, that's 34-ish years? Yeah. That's almost 80% of the time that I've been a baseball fan. The Yankees have been a winning team. That's what makes them so much fun to hate. 
is that they're that good. And they just, they never, they never, I mean, they were supposed to struggle a couple of years ago or, and then all the injuries this year and they just keep winning. That that is frustrating. Yeah. Did you, uh, I don't watch a lot of White Sox games and thus they're playing the A's, but did you see the White Sox uh, Angels game over the uh, last weekend where uh, Bill Walton was, was on? I did not see that. No, this was all over the internet. I actually went back and watched the game because the internet was going crazy and Bill Walton did exactly what you expect Bill Walton to do. You know, Jason Benetti, the the play-by-play guy for the White Sox, who I think is one of the best in the game. He embraces the analytics. Uh, he's very smart and he had worked with, with Bill Walton before in basketball. So they kind of had a relationship and Benetti really played off him well and teased him about a lot of stuff. But Walton's talking about getting high. He's talking about geography. I mean, he's talking about everything. He knows nothing about baseball, but he was having a really fun time. Anybody gets a hit and he's celebrating like it's somebody's, you know, winning the World Series. But maybe go back if you've got MLB TV and watch that. That was a interesting game, to say the least. Interesting, yeah. I saw one more thing I wanted to talk about before we get... I know you've got something to talk about. Earlier this uh, last week, the Brewers and the Nats played a 14-inning game where the final score was 15-14. to The Brewers beat the Nationals. The game took five hours and 40 minutes. What was interesting is Jack White. You know Jack White from the White Stripes? Now, I've probably just edited this out the last five minutes of us <laughs> looking up how to say the rock on tours because I, who said that name many times for all of a sudden could not remember how to say Jack White's current band's name, the rock on tours. You kept saying rocketeers when the I rocketeers, thought it was, which yeah, I thought I it was restaurant tours. I, I, it's not restaurant tours <laughs> or rocketeers. Apparently too much food but, network. <laughs> what was funny though is uh, Jack White's a big baseball fan and he was in DC that night. So he actually went to the beginning of the of that Brewers Nats game and caught a couple innings and then he had to leave to go do his show, but this game took so long that by the time the show was over, the game was still going on. So he went back to the stadium and was sitting back in his seats for when Eric uh, Thames hit a homer in the 14th. Oh my uh, god. Where the Brewers took the lead. That's so cool. It is pretty cool that he's he's that big a fan. You gotta like, like him for that. Absolutely. Now Eric it's Eric Thames, right? Or are we gonna be British and call him Eric Thames? I'm personally am a fan of the British pronunciation of Thames. Thames I, I think or, it's I think but I think he goes by Thames. Okay. I I think Thames is because I, I think I, I remember our friends at Absolute Bunts were making fun of that during the British series where Americans didn't know how to say Thames, but well, I mean, if you watched a lot of Benny Hill growing up, like I did, it just rolls off the tongue. Another thing I wanted to talk about. So we've had Ben from Diamonds and Roses podcast on. He is uh, one of the proponents of the Major League Baseball expanding or getting a team relocated to Portland. And I wanted to say a couple of things. First of all, make sure you tune into uh, to their latest episode this week because you'll hear a very familiar voice. Or maybe you... you this might not make you want to tune in, but I was uh, on their show this week talking about the Oakland A's and, and the possibility of the A's getting a new stadium or, you know, being a, a possible relocation candidate to go to Portland. Uh, make sure you tune into the Diamonds and Roses podcast and you can hear me talk about my favorite team who will hopefully be staying put. Okay, so now is the segment that I messed up 
pretty bad last week, but I've got it down. It, 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 this show is definitely debuting on August 20th, and I have August 20th dates here. So <laughs> this is uh, when we like to go back and we like to look at some players that made their major league debut on this day, the aforementioned August 20th. A couple of a couple of big names. First of all, Harvey Haddix made his debut oh. back in 1952 on this day. Yes, Harvey Haddix. The, he has a great history. He was a great pitcher. Uh, you know what? I don't want to say great because <laughs> I, I saw his name and I was instantly oh. I got. I've got to. I got to talk about Harvey Haddix. And then I looked at his numbers: career one thirty six and one thirteen over fourteen years. He was yeah, a starter. Yeah. He did lead the league in shutouts his second year with six in nineteen fifty three. Uh, he was a three time All Star and won a Gold Glove three times. But other than that, he was really what you would consider like a, a solid number three or four pitcher. Which was a little surprising yeah. to me. I guess I, I guess yeah. when I think of Harvey Haddix, that's just not what I, what comes to mind. But he ended up with a pitcher's war of twenty nine point nine. So that's thirty games. That's that's pretty impressive. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Interesting though that uh, he did have one of the greatest games of all time. So we're talking about a perfect game. He threw twelve perfect innings when he was with the Pirates, but he lost the game against the Milwaukee yes. Braves. And that was in 1959. Just to clarify, he did lose the game in the 13th. Yes. He didn't throw 12 perfect innings and lose in a perfect game. That would be pretty difficult to do. That would be hard. Uh, although you could with the new rule uh, that I saw uh, at the game. Yeah, wild pitches. Wild pitches, mm -hmm. fastballs, uh, box. Got a guy on second. Hey, <laughs> you know, you could throw a perfect game and lose. Uh, our next debut this day in 1981, Brett Butler made his debut for the oh, Atlanta man. Braves. Oh, man. Butler was a Brave. Yeah, he played his first three years with the Braves. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and the, I always liked Brett Butler. Uh, who do you think? Unique ball player. Who do you think of him as, like, when you see him in your mind, what uniforms he wears? Yeah. Dodgers. Dodgers? Yeah. I'm I am because I'm looking at these teams that he played for and I remember him in every one of these jerseys. He played for the Braves, yeah. the Indians, the Giants, the Dodgers, uh, half a year for the Mets and then went back to the Dodgers again. Yeah, he was uh he was a fantastic center fielder and a great leadoff you know, batter. A really good absolutely. leadoff batter. Oh yeah, he knew the art of the bunt. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember watching him and his defense was you know, it's not just that he had tons of range. He didn't make errors either. Because he, he was fast. So he had he played for 17 years. He never led the league in steals, which is surprising. But he stole 558 bases uh, over his career. Uh, led the league in walks in 1991 with 108. And finished with wow. a .753 OPS for his career. Wow. So wow. that's good. And then uh, let's see. His war, 49.7. So... <laughs> that's that is uh you know obviously th those are not hall of fame numbers but he was a great leadoff center oh, fielder and and fun to watch yeah and then finally you'll you'll enjoy this name this is a guy i liked uh as well tino martinez made his major league debut in 1990 on this day oh wow yeah i remember that constantino that was his first name wasn't it constantino Const <laughs> i think that was his wow you shortened it for tino 
Was it Constantino? I, I don't know, man. Where it was. Baseball Reference doesn't have his full first name. Let's see. Does he have a Wikipedia page? Will that tell us? Constantino Tino Martinez is a former American baseball player. I knew something wow. you didn't know about Tino. I did not know that. And now I, if I ever have a child, it might have to be a Constantino. <laughs> so Tino, uh, a great first baseman of the 80s and 90s, had some pop, finished with 339 home runs. Uh, it's funny looking at this. He, he led the league in one category one year, and that's it. In 1997, he led the league in sacrifice flies with 13. <laughs> but, huh. but as you know, you always think of him as being, uh, I mean, he won four World Series with the Yankees. So he was there during that big run. That's probably why I know I probably think of him as being such a, maybe a bigger force than than he actually was. But finished with a 29 war exactly yeah man i mean he was uh you know he was a solid player he was uh, you know it, 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 i remember him as a mariner he had some power and he hit for a decent average He's a decent pretty decent fielder yeah. yeah 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 he was a solid player he, he was he was an above average player he wasn't he was like a b b player not an a player yeah. definitely not an average c player he was in the b range. right he was he was a guy you wouldn't mind starting at first base yeah so uh, that's going to wrap up our, our first segment here, our BP segment. We are going to roll into the uh, the first inning. We're going to do a little something different than we usually do because, Mark, you had an experience this week. You actually went to a minor league game, and yeah. we thought it might be kind of interesting. We are a baseball history podcast, but you saw some stuff in the minor league game that you don't see in major league games. Oh my gosh, I did. And I had more fun than, than a barrel of Vikings. Let me tell you. Whoa. Yeah. I, it was, it, it's a single A game and it was the Everett Aqua Sox, which is a single A team that uh, is associated with the Seattle Mariners, of course. So I initially went because, well, I collect baseball Funko figures and they were giving away a Jay Buhner. Me and my buddy Jack decided we're going to go to the game, got my Jay Buhner. And and enjoyed some minor league baseball. Some some interesting stuff happened. It went extra innings, and so I'm sitting there and I look out and I go, "Why do they have a guy on second base? I don't. I didn't miss. Did it I like miss that. something?" <laughs> and then it, it dawned on me: new rules. Wow, uh, it, it was interesting. They, they didn't score the first extra inning, and then the second one, um, Everett had their guy on second, and it was you know they're the home team. So the visiting team, I think it was Tri-Cities, just uh, automatically walked the next batter. Why wouldn't you? Yep. You know, I mean, it, it's some of these things you don't yeah. think of when you make the rule up, but they just they walked the next batter. Now, Everett won on a three-run home run, which was pretty cool, but uh, it, it got me thinking about what happened. Remember we talked about all these new rules before the season started? Yep. Yeah, I it do. got me thinking about how they're going. I mean, I, this is really going to extend – this segment, but uh, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about these rules, how they're going, what they're looking like, etc. So first of all, what did you think? Because that, so that rules, the international tiebreaker rule, I believe that started last year. Yeah. And I, I remember I saw it last year also at the World Baseball Classic. What okay. What did you think? Not about a fan, it? not a fan. I think you should have to earn your runs. I think starting a guy in scoring position, you know, but then again, 
I'm a purist. I, I like. Let me ask. Let me there. ask you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this because I am a fan of this rule in the minor leagues. Okay. I don't think it should ever see the light of day in the big leagues. That's but the fair. minor leagues, you're you're there just to develop. You you the, your record is great if you win, but right. nobody really cares about the record of the team. So I I'm all for it in the minors. You're not overextending your bullpen as well because you don't want to get guys hurt in the minor leagues. But I could see never that. in the major leagues would I want to see that rule. I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it was interesting. I I started thinking then about um, you know, it's the Atlantic League uh, that is trying all these new rules with uh, the major league baseball is kind of overseeing mm-hmm. and wondering how things were going with that. Just so everyone knows, the Atlantic League is it's basically an eight team independent league. They uh, you got cl- they got baseball clubs uh, all through East Coast, and uh, it was baseball entered a three re- three year agreement with them to try out these new rules, and some of them are working out, and some of them eh, very questionable. Yeah, I've I, I've seen some videos from some of their games so far. So, yeah, oh, um, what do you want to talk about first? Well, uh, the the here's the rule changes. Here's what started. They started the season with. Uh, they wanted to move the pitcher's mound back two feet. Didn't happen. There was a huge uproar from the players and the coaches. And, you know, even though uh, studies showed that it wasn't going to make a difference in how worn out the players, the pitcher's arm might get and so on, they didn't like it. And so that one's... I don't like that either. It's been yeah. delayed at least one season. It may not see the light of day. Who knows? Uh, that one was one that they wanted, didn't get implemented. Uh, one of the other ones that I never heard about before is they went from a 15 by 15 inch base to an 18 by 18 inch base. I'm not. What is what is that supposed to help I or, think, or hinder? I or? think it's supposed to help prevent injuries. Um, you know, two players vying for first base and they're both lunging at it to get their foot on it. And occasionally they'll somebody will step on the other guy's foot or ankle. I think it's supposed to allow for a bigger space for the first baseman to keep his foot on the side of the bag and space for the runner to hit the other side of the bag. I am at a loss for that one as to what that'll do. All right. How about this one? A prohibition against mound visits, except for if you're changing the pitcher or if it's a medical visit. No mound visits at all. If you visit the mound, they're gone. The pitcher's out. So, I mean, you, like me, have paid a lot of attention for work uh, for mound visits remaining since that was introduced two years ago in the (laughs) major leagues. Yep. I can remember one game where the team ran out of mound visits. A lot of teams, uh, I mean, today I, I just got back from an A's game where the A's finished the game with five mound visits remaining. Right. I, I don't think it's sped up the game. I don't think it is done. I, at this point, I want to keep it in because I don't want to get back to having the catcher go out there so many times, mm-hmm. you know, during a game. But I, I don't think it's really helped anybody. I'm I, I th- do think, though, you need to. If you get crossed up or something, you got to go out there and discuss it. I, I don't think you can take them away completely. Yeah, it's it's interesting. They they have. I mean, it's kind of fit in. They've learned how to deal with it. It hasn't caused any real problems. But you know, I don't know if I want to see no mound visits, but I wouldn't mind fewer than five. You know, it's as one of my jobs at T-Mobile Park is to keep track of mound visits and post mound visits and stuff like that. Nobody ever gets really below three very often. You know, but I do love that you get more as you go into extra innings. Uh-huh. I remember one of the, I think it was the Twins game that went like 18 earlier this year. Yeah. And both teams had like 12 or 13 mounts right. remaining. <laughs> Which were completely necessary. 
here's another one. And this one, I'm going to say straight up, I like it. I don't know how it can be implemented properly, but I like it. And that's the three batter minimum for pitchers. Yeah, I, I'm not down with this one. Yeah, I, I don't like it. Basically, a pitcher, when he comes in the game, has to face a minimum of three batters or the end of an inning, unless there's an injury. I don't, I, I mean, there goes the end of your your loogie, you know, mm-hmm. um, which that's slang for, for, what is it, left out only guy? Yeah. Um, who just comes in to face, you know, it's usually a lefty. Like the A's have Ryan Bookter, who can't get a left-hander out to save his life. Booker. Oh, boy. Garnier Kilder. Sorry. Just so you know, just so just so listeners Sorry. know, uh, Mark texted me that exact same line uh, during the Astros-A's series. And I said, <laughs> good, get that out now so you don't do it on the podcast. And, and he still goes right ahead and does it. Oops. It's just <laughs> such a great line. No, I'm not down. I'm not down with that rule. I, I, I don't, I, again, I don't think it's going to save that much time. Time, but I, I like the strategy of bringing in a guy and then having the the, the other manager swaps swap out the batter and then you know having to look down the line and see okay well and then the next batter who's going to come out and- yeah no there's a lot of strategy in that I agree and the reason I like it though is just is because I get tired of certain managers who will go and it'll be three different pitchers in the eighth inning you know. Yeah, you know, Mike Sosha's not around anymore. Oh, but oh. yes, there are. Some. Yeah, it drives me nuts, and and I I honestly think that lefties, if you know, if they're good enough pitchers, should be able to get a couple righties out. I agree, but but I don't know. you know that you know. you still got to have those specialists. I think, and and I don't think the play. I think the players' union is going to have something to say. I don't. I frankly don't think it's going to happen next year. Really don't. Yeah, that, that's a. It could start happen as you, as soon as next year. It's all going to depend on MLB and the players' union and so on. The next rule is a prohibition against defensive shifts. So what they do is there's an extra chalk line. It's from second base to the outfield grass, and it requires that two infielders on each side of second base, as soon as a pitch is released. Apparently, you can run across once the pitch is released if you want. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to have the shortstop and third baseman, or not even have to be them. The second baseman can come over to the other side if he wants, but the shortstop has to go over there. Uh, so you, basically, it's a it to prevent defensive shifts. Instead of players learning how to hit against the shift, they're just going to not allow them to shift. What do you think? I'm going to slide into the no column on this one. I I'm still I see plenty of guys hitting through the shift. Sure, it it is certainly mm-hmm. cut down on some. I don't see anybody's average, you know, going from three thirty down to two sixty because of this. And you know what? Uh, you right. know what I've seen a lot this year for the A's. Of course, I always go back to A's. Matt Olson, Matt Olson, who's got a huge bat, has laid down like three or four bunt base hits down the third yeah. baseline. Brilliant. I think, I think he, brilliant. he's in the top five of bunt base hits this year. <laughs> Well, if they're gonna if they're gonna shift that drastically, I don't see why more people don't do yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I it uh, if you get the shift, you got to learn to either hit through it, hit the other way, or whatever. I have seen a couple of players that there were shifts on who people aren't shifting anymore. There are the guys that can that can learn to to hit to all fields. Right. I in, at the start of this year, well, actually it was last year because of an injury, but last year, uh, just from the Mariners' vantage point. Uh, People, there was an extreme shift on Kyle Seeger. He started just, you know, after he came back from an injury this year, all of a sudden, just the, the occasional, you know, uh, single to left. 
the occasional home run to left. And then he started laying down a bunt here and there. And they don't shift as drastically on him anymore. So, I mean, there's ways to assuage the, the effects of a, sweat, of, a, of a shift. All right. Next one, shorter period between half innings and pitching changes. So instead of 205, it went to 145. Problem there is in the Atlantic League, you don't have TV. You don't have big time radio sponsors. That's that's really what those time in between. innings. That's true. So I don't think you're going to see that happen unless uh, soccer. I watch a lot of soccer. There's no timeouts. Once the half starts, there are no timeouts. But they find plenty of ways to get sponsors in there, either on the score bug or they'll, you know, half the screen will be the game. The other half will be a commercial. Uh, They do the same in hockey. If they want to do that, I'm fine with it. That that's only going to shave a couple minutes off a game, though. Right. And they may lose ad revenue. I don't know. So those are, those are the first half implementations, and they stay through the entire season. Now there are it's a 140 game season in the Atlantic League, and so there are stuff that that went into effect the second half of the season. One of them is, of course, the radar enabled strike zone. Yeah, the biggie. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about this one here uh, towards the end of the of the segment because uh, I kind of want to go over through these other ones first, and I got a little more to say about the radar strike zone. Uh, one of the second half changes is that pitchers are banned from doing pickoff moves in which their foot remains on the pitching rubber. You actually have to step out, step off to throw to first or to any base. What is the point? I don't know. There's not that many pickoffs that are successful as it is. Why are you trying? I mean, unless you're trying to enhance the running game, you want more stolen bases, which I love stolen bases, but uh, that's, I don't understand that one. It's an interesting one. I don't know if it's going to be a big deal or not. If it makes any difference, who knows? Some interesting ones, though, that I found. Stealing first base is now allowed in the Atlantic League. So if you're familiar with baseball, you understand that a drop third strike, a, a batter can try and take first base. Well, now it's a dropped any pitch. If the batter wants to try and steal first, he can give it a shot. And it's been done a few times. I'm not a fan of that one either. My my first, I don't think I like it either. You're not earning your way on. Yeah. And well, as an, as a former official scorer, my first question was how in the world do you score that? SB. And so I, well, I looked it up and I, it took me a while to find it. But um, my first thought is, is this an at bat? Is it a plate appearance? What is it? Initially, when they implemented this, they said it was going to be scored a fielder's choice. Well, nobody's going to go. Yeah. That... Why would you do it if you're going to be 0 for 1? Because fielder's choice, I mean, again, who gives, who cares about batting average? We're beyond batting average, right? We don't care about that number. It doesn't tell a story. But by reaching via a fielder's choice, that doesn't help your on-base percentage, which is one of those stats that you know people actually yeah. do look at and you want to be good. You'd have to be a pretty selfless player to, to steal first base often. Yeah. But yeah, that's a weird rule, and I don't think I like it. No. But we'll see how it pans out. You can find uh, videos of people stealing first all over uh, all over the internet. It's so weird, definitely weird. Um, another one that they're implementing in the second half is you know how uh, if you have two strikes on you and you try to bunt mm-hmm. and it goes foul at strike three, well now you get one you get one gimme. <laughs> you can actually bunt foul for one strike. It doesn't count. If you bunt foul a second time, you're out. But it gives you the chance to bunt with two strikes. I don't hate that one as much as I've hated every other thing that you've mentioned. 
Because now we've talked about in the past, in the 1800s, guys would just bunt foul after foul after foul right. just until they got a pitch that they, they could handle. Right. Or until they walked. Yeah. So, I mean, that was that was the reason that the bunting on the third strike, we are automatically out. I don't hate this one because, you know, it adds another level of strategery, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Give somebody another chance. But I, I don't. I kind of like this. I, yeah, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Let me put it that way. I would, you know, and I'm probably in the minority here, but I would like to see more bunting in baseball, just strategically speaking. Hmm. All right. And then the final rule for the second half is, and I love this rule, uh, umpires are to rule check swings in a more batter-friendly manner. Now, i tell you why I like this. It, it, I get really sick of, of a guy just barely getting the bat off his shoulder and the umpire will call him out for a swing. I think there's too many called check swings that are called strikes now. And I understand that helps speed up the game, et cetera, et cetera. But I think guys often check their swings, get called for a third strike when, when they didn't, you know, the rule is that they offer at the ball. And a lot of people think it's did the bat cross home plate. Well, that can be a measuring device, but it's that's not the rule. The rule is did the batter offer at the ball, and I think that's kind of been dropped because a lot of these guys will pull back without much of a swing and still get called as a strike. What do you think? First of all, no, not on board with this rule at all. This is the I mean, this is the rule that needs to happen. Home plate umpire is not allowed to call check swings. He calls balls and strikes. Any kind of appeal goes to first or third. First of all, the umpire is supposed to be watching where the ball crosses the plate. So how can he tell if the batter is actually offered at the ball or not? I don't think the home plate umpire should be able to make that ruling at all. If there is ever a question if the batter swung or offered at it, he, he appeals to either the third or the first base umpire, depending on whether the, the batter is left or right-handed. That's the rule mm-hmm. that needs to be implemented. No, that's a, certainly an option. Not a bad idea. I just I think there are too many check swings that are called strikes when they're not. So I'd I'd like to see things be if if not I wouldn't call it batter friendly, but maybe I'd say back to the original intent. Getting to your final rule, I'm assuming, which is the the automated umpiring, they should also be yes. able to tell then if a batter's bat went beyond a certain point. So I mean, when it comes to that, maybe maybe you That's just true. leave it up to the robo ump. Yeah, the robo ump, aka Trackman. Yeah. It's uh, it's been utilized now in in the Atlantic League. Mixed reviews, as would be expected. Basically, it works like this: there's still a home plate umpire, and he's got a, a an earpiece. There's an AirPod in his right ear that's connected to an iPhone in his back pocket. That's how it works. What happens if he hangs up? What if he butt dials somebody during the inning? Well, I think you want a prize <laughs> if he calls you. I'm not sure though. I couldn't find that exactly. But basically, a computer in the press box will compute. It'll communicate uh, whether the pitch was in or out of the strike zone. The first guy to, to ever be an umpire behind home plate and not call balls or strikes, his name was Brian DeBrower or DeBrower. DeBrower, I hardly knew her. There you go. Yeah, very good. <laughs> uh, basically, the, it is your piece tells him ball or strike, and he calls it. And it's funny to watch some of these games. Um, you see. The umpire will call a strike and and the batter will look at him and he'll just point at his earpiece. Look, man, I don't know. Yeah, I saw <laughs> I saw some video from the very first game and the the guy took a pitch and everyone just stood there and he started to take off his 
you know, his shin pad and dropped his bat thinking it was ball four. And then all of a sudden the umpire goes strike. Yeah. Well, exactly. And, and it mostly happens from what I found on breaking balls that appear low. The rule is if any part of the ball touches any part of the strike zone, it's going to be ruled a strike. Yeah. These breaking balls that umpires, professional umpires have been trained not to call those strikes. But if a part of the ball touches a part of the strike zone, even if it looks low, the system, the track man will call it a strike. And I found a few of these that look, wow. I mean, the, the balls are almost in the dirt and track man's calling them strikes because they were breaking ball and they caught a little portion of the, the strike zone at some point. So it's kind of interesting that, that it changes. It completely changes the batter's box uh, and the way that, that it's approached because here's, here's the deal. Everybody's supposed to have an individually measured strike zone. Okay. But it's not easy to do. There's not a lot of money around. I wanted to know what their default was. So I was able to find uh, without the strike zone specific data, they utilize a strike zone of a six foot, two inch player. <laughs> Altuve is like, Hey, what about right? me? <laughs> Exactly. That's 1.8 Altuve's. Why? What about me? Be, right. He'll be looking at pitches uh, around his eyes called strikes. But I think in the major leagues, it would be a requirement to have individual strike zone data. Yeah. You know, you get measured for it or whatever. But overall, the the players and managers and even the umpires have actually endorsed the system uh, just because of the consistency. The long long term effects are going to be a change of the strike zone. Uh, there could be some negative effects like, uh, you know, umpires are human. They might get a little bit complacent, you know, eh, I'm going to get it right. So because the thing's going to tell me what to call, so I don't care sort of thing. The strike zone is going to be different if a human being is calling it. It's interesting in the Atlantic League All-Star game. They actually, the system went out for about an inning. And so Mr. DeBroer, um just called the game as a normal umpire would. Balls and strikes, he called himself. So that's always a backup, I guess, if the, the system isn't isn't an issue. Uh, but the other negative I thought about was this system, even though you can, if it's not accurate, you can adjust for accuracy. You know, you can make changes. If you were commissioner and you could either say yes or no to this in the major leagues right now, what would you say? I definitely no. I'm not ready for it yet. I don't think most baseball fans are. I am. I am so wishy-washy on this because I'm so tired of the inconsistent, you know, last, I think it was last week or the week before Joey Votto got called out on strikes three times in one game and they showed the stat cast location of all three of those pitches and they were nowhere near the strike zone. Interesting. Yeah. See, and that's interesting because it's kind of the same system. It's kind of the, the whole thing about robo umpires um, started because of the the on TV you can see what the strike zone was, you know. The thing I've seen because I've seen videos of these robo umpire games, and like I said, it just they need to speed it up. And I don't, you know, okay. I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll happen with as they get better at this, but to have to wait two to three seconds after a pitch to for everybody on the field to know whether it was a ball or strike is just it, it's ugly. Yeah, that's the other issue with it is that there's a bit of a delay between the pitch when the umpire gets the official call from the system and the umpire making the, the call uh, verbally. So it, you're right there in, in that it's not quite ready for prime time in that aspect for sure. Well, that's interesting. We had some we had some differing opinions on some of these rules. Yeah, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about it because we heard a lot about it before the season, but I haven't heard many updates. So I thought maybe our listeners would be interested in knowing what's going on with that stuff. 
All right, now we are going to roll into a very popular segment uh, of our show that we like to do here at the end. It is Wax Packs Heroes, where Mark and I will both open a, usually a, a Wax Pack from the late 80s, early 90s, take a look at them, uh, add up the thousands and thousands of dollars that they're worth, and whoever is the richest at the end of the pack will be declared the winner. So, Mark, you're going down, Paulson. Yeah, well, I I'm riding a a non losing streak. Let me put it that way. Yes. <laughs> I guess you okay, are too, because we've been tying a lot lately. <laughs> we are gonna put some new rules in place uh, to make sure that never happens. Uh, I guarantee you, we won't have a tie today because I'm just gonna make one of us the winner. But next show, we've got some exciting news about Wax Packs Heroes. So be sure to uh, to stick around next week. Uh, this week, Mark, I've got 1989 tops. Uh, I've got two packs okay. here. Uh, again, uh, commons are worth nothing. We're going by a current Beckett's standard uh, this week, at least. And uh, let's see who wins. Do you want the pack in the left hand or the right hand? Well, I'm going to go with the right hand again. Right hand. All right. Now, these wax packs do have gum, so I am going to be very careful as to not get it all. Oh, it's just sticking to the card. Oh, okay. Well, well, I can tell you that the last card in this pack, uh, which is a common anyway, but if it was worth anything, it now is not because it is just <laughs> there is a a gum shaped uh, sticky stain on the back now. All right, so uh, let's start here. Oh, you're starting off now very strong because you're starting off with a Hall of Famer. Right on. Your first card is Barry Larkin. Oh, man. We've talked about Barry before and, and what a solid all-around player he was. Yeah. So that is it is considered a common, but Barry Larkin, Cincinnati Reds, right there. That was This was his fourth year in the major leagues, but that's a good card uh, to start out with. Next, you've got Randy Bush from the— Randy uh, Bird in the Hand Bush. Yes. <laughs> but he was kind of a utility— uh, outfielder uh -huh. wasn't he yeah 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 not, not. He, he wasn't an everyday starter but a, a good fourth outfielder utility guy uh now one of your favorite things you've got a manager card oh boy okay so let i'm gonna test you here this is 1989 tops this is a royals manager card who do you think was managing the royals in 1989 you know what i don't even have a guess i i i'm drawing blanks on john waffen yeah, I wouldn't have come up with that one. Like I, I know the name and I remember him as the manager, but I, I, he couldn't have managed for more than a couple of years and did nothing. I mean, the you know, the late '80s Royals did nothing. So right. <laughs> All right. So here's a your next card is a Mariners Hall of Famer. Ooh. He's pitching for the Cubs in this uh, in this one, but uh, Jimmy Moyer. Yeah, absolutely. Pitched forever. He probably still, if you signed him right now, he'd probably willingly go out there on the mound. The the absolute definition of the crafty lefty. Yeah, and the fact that he's a lefty, I, I guarantee you he could probably go out there right now. Uh, he probably could. Next, you got another lefty, Rob Murphy from the Cincinnati Reds. I remember Rob Murphy. Um, I don't think he was an official nasty boy, but he was a, he was a pretty good pitcher. Yeah, he was decent. Next, we got Frank White, Royals legend. Frank White, yeah. absolutely a legend. Yeah. Uh, did, did he go on to? Did, he didn't manage. He was one of those guys that everybody thought was going to manage at some point, but I don't think he actually did. 
I think you're right. Yeah, he did, he had a heck of a career though. Yeah, he was a uh, he was an outstanding player, and I think he spent it all with the Royals too. Yeah, he was even drafted so. by them. Uh, next, you've got uh, former A's coach. I think he's the current Cubs batting coach. I think he managed them at one point. Dale Swaim. Oh sure, Dale Swaim. S V E U. Exactly. I was right? just about to spell it out, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would like to see somebody that does not know baseball pronounce that name for the first time. But uh, <laughs> next, we've got uh, middle infielder extraordinaire for the Boston Red Sox, Marty Barrett. Marty Grinnan Barrett. Grinnan Barrett. Yeah, this is a, this is definitely spring training. He's in a cage. In he and he's wearing his full game uniform too. You know, no BP jersey or anything, but you can tell it's in. But you, there's like six rows of stands behind him, so you can tell it's spring training. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna give you this guy's nickname, which should give this away: the Caveman. The Caveman. That'd be me. <laughs> yes, but I, I'm talking about 1989 San Francisco Giant pitcher. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, Wow, I'm not doing real well on the trivia today, man. I'm not sure. Don Robinson. Don, I remember that guy. Yeah. Sure, kind of a big loping guy. Yeah, this picture, he doesn't look that bad. But yeah, I remember I remember he put on some weight <laughs> near the end of his career. Uh, now, look at that. You've got another Hall of Famer here. It's an all-star Jeez. card, Ozzie Smith. Oh, uh, the wizard, man. You can't beat that. I was showing a, a younger fan the other day how he used to come out and do like a round off and a backflip. Well, oh, you see, so boy, who's doing it now? I think they're doing it for the for the. Oh, it's uh, Kemp, isn't that? Uh, he used to be on the Astros and was traded to. Thought it was the Cubs or somebody this year. He's going out and doing backflips. Uh, all really, all Ozzie Smith. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, they made Ozzie stop. He can only do it a couple times a year because they were nervous about <laughs> the injury. I understand that. But it used to be so cool. I remember. You know, everybody Well, he was doing it on that. Remember, he was doing it at uh, Bush Stadium when it had that AstroTurf. Yeah. It was just cement with, you know, the yeah. very early cement form of AstroTurf on top. Yeah, that could not feel good. <laughs> and he's landing on, on, on his knees. Uh, ungiving cleats. Yeah. You know? Yeah, not good. Uh, another Cardinal next, John Costello. A pitcher? I don't remember anything about John. John Costello. Yeah, I don't remember that. It. Uh, I thought you were going to say Costanza no. for a second, and I was going to be real excited. Because <laughs> uh, obviously, if a player was named Costanza, he'd be wearing a cotton uniform. And he would just saying. He would also be in the logo of our show if that was if anybody named Costanza. <laughs> Next up, uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. I think he was a starter. John Smiley. Oh sure, John Smiley was a solid pitcher, lefty, right? Uh, he was a lefty, yeah, and from the looks of this, he was a starter in the minors, but the first couple of years in the majors, he was definitely coming out of the pen. And he it just, yeah. so you know, he is smiling in his picture. Uh, <laughs> As namesake, he kind of has to. <laughs> Next, you've got a record-breaker card, Oral Hershiser, for pitching uh, 59 scoreless innings. There you go. These are all just considered uh, common still, but uh, you've got some good yeah. cards here. Good players. Uh, next, I'm going to give you a nickname here. You'll, you should get this one easy. Uh, Bedrock. Steve Bedrosian. Correct. You, you so, you know, his kid Cam is a, in the majors. Mm -hmm. He might not be mm -hmm. right now, but he's been up and down with the Angels. Also nicknamed Bedrock. They couldn't come up with anything better. Well, yeah, Bedrock Jr., whatever. <laughs> and then your final card with the stain on the back is Red Sox first baseman Carlos Quintana. Or actually, he's an outfielder. Uh, yeah. 
Well, he's listed as an outfielder there, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Quintana. Yeah. He, he wasn't a bad player. You know, he had a couple of good years. All right. So I remember. technically, again, zero value, but I'm going to give value to your Larkin, your Ozzie Smith and your Oral Hershiser. So we'll, we'll see yeah, what we I get. We'll see what it's going to be tough to beat that, frankly. Uh, there's only about like 20 cards that are worth anything in this pack right now. So, <laughs> right. All right. So we're going to open up mine now. Uh, see where my gum is. My gum is. Oh, I've already got more value on that last card because the gum did not stick to it. Oh, good. All right. So I am starting off. Very nice. I'm not. I, I'm pretty sure he's in the Hall of Fame. Kirby Puckett. Oh, yeah, definitely. You can't beat Kirby Puckett, man. Rest in peace. What a legend. But did I, I really don't remember. Is he in the Hall of Fame? I He's got to be, right? I would think he is. He's got to be. Some baseball history podcast we are when we don't remember yeah, he's no in the kidding, Hall of Fame. Man. Uh, yes, Kirby Puckett is in the Hall of Fame. He was inducted in 2001. Of course. Yes, we, as, as deservedly so. Of course, we know Kirby Puckett. Passed away in 2006. Uh, next, Bob Boone, All-Star. Now, I know you, <laughs> are, buddy Bob. you are a fan of Bob Boone, and we've told yeah. a story or two you have about Bob Boone on this. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, uh, I got to spend two years working for Bob uh, in the clubhouse. And, you know, he's just a guy that commands respect. Uh, every single ounce of it he's earned, you know, by playing his butt off. He caught some ridiculous amount of games and... And uh, gave us uh, Brett and Aaron Boone. So what can you say? Yeah, what a baseball family. No kidding. And his his dad, Ray, as well. Yeah. Uh, true, true baseball uh, legends, that family. Uh, next, we got... It's a lineage. We've got... That was the word I couldn't think of, so I said legends. But thank you. <laughs> uh, White Sox, Mike Diaz, outfielder, catcher. Now, there is a... <laughs> wow. <laughs> there is a, a position designation you do not see very often. Outfielder slash catcher. catcher. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. 12 career game-winning RBIs. I remember that stat. I remember the GWRBI. Yeah. What are you? It's kind of a weird stat. I you could, really didn't tell you You could, you could hit a go-ahead RBI in the first inning, in the top of the first inning, and as long as your team continued to hold the lead, it never got tied. You could finish the game 15 to 14 and you would still be credited with the game winning RBI in the first. That's inning. right. That's right. All right. That's a, you know, you hit a home run in the first, you got a shot at the game winning RBI. Yep, you do. All right. Next Jose Canseco. Never heard of him. Mm, yeah. I heard he could hit it at, at one time. Yeah. Well, we, we all know Jose Canseco. We don't need to talk about him. Uh, Brewers, okay. Mike Young, now, Mike Young, that's oh, such a common name, and there's been so many outfielders with the last name Young and the first name Mike. I don't remember this one when you put them together. Yeah, I don't know that one either. He apparently played a lot for the Orioles, but uh, really, uh, that's... Well, his stat is Mike became the fifth player in baseball history to belt two extra inning home runs in the same game. What? He hit oh, one in the 10th cool. to tie the contest, and then 12th to win it or, and then another one in the 12th to win it so that's pretty cool that's impressive yeah uh next we've got uh philly's outfielder bob denier dernier dernier well, i don't know maybe he's french i have no idea yeah, i don't need a blank completely okay philly's cubs 
at, at this point in 1989, he had played for 10 years almost. But yeah. Wow, that's weird. That, yeah. uh, I don't know. Uh, next, we've got uh, Royals pitcher Steve Farr. Now, Steve is donning one of the most 80s baseball card outfits you could ever have. He's wearing one of those like jackets underneath his jersey that looks like it's plastic. Do you know uh-huh. what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do, yes. <laughs> it looks like he is trying to lose weight, you know, uh, like he's a wrestler trying to make weight, and he's trying to drop pounds <laughs> by sitting in a sauna with this thing on. It just looks like it would just be the most miserable thing, but they wore them underneath their jerseys, and they're big and puffy. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I remember yeah. that. Funny stuff. <laughs> Next, we've got Jeff Treadway, but in a Reds jersey. Now, I remember Jeff Treadway as a brave, but he came up with the Reds. Okay. And, yeah, not much there. Uh, Robbie Thompson. Remember Robbie Robbie Thompson? Thompson. Great second baseman for the Giants. Yep, not Bobby Thompson, but Robbie Thompson. I remember he was on that that, uh, 89 Giants team that went to the World Series. Uh, Chet Lemon. Good old Chet. Chet. Bitter Lemon. Outfielder for the Tigers. You Uh, bet. Jerry Don Gleaton. Remember Jerry Don? Oh, sure. Boy, barely. I don't remember him playing, but I remember all of his cards because he looks like he's 82 years old. And he's got an he old he's got an old man name too. But this was his he, he was a rookie in 79. So he had a decent career. Yeah. yeah. Uh former manager and uh, Orioles catcher Terry Kennedy. Oh, sure. Yeah. Was uh, kind of one of those hard-nosed guys that bounced around a little, but played really good ball. Yeah, he was. I remember he was kind of a hard-ass manager. Yeah, yeah, and he was kind of a hard-ass when he was on the the microphone too as an announcer. <laughs> uh, next, we've got. I'm just going to give you this clue and see if you can guess who this this expo was. Speaker of the House. Um, you got me on that one. So you being from Washington. Uh, the uh, Speaker of the House used to be Tom Foley, who was a senator sure. from uh, from Washington. So Tom Foley, yes. middle infielder for the Expos. Uh, we've got Dave Magadan, first baseman. Oh man, for the yeah. uh, for the Mets. Mm-hmm. And then we will wrap up my pack with Lloyd Mosby, outfielder. Well, that puts it over the top for you. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. So my cards of note are going to be Kirby Puckett, Bob Boone, and maybe Jose Canseco. So I've only got one Hall of Famer there. You've got two. So I, mm. I'm going to have to go ahead and, and give you the victory. We'll award it on points. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're going to award that. No more ties. Uh, you're going to get the victory on this one. Oh, well, you know what? I'd just like to thank the Academy. <laughs> so let's take a look at the standings now. With this newly awarded victory, you uh, now have two wins. I have three, and we've got the three ties that we're not going to talk about anymore. But uh, you're, right. you're making strides nonetheless. I, I, you know, I'm just proud to uh, proud to go up against such a great Waxbacks hero player as you, sir. <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap up the Waxpack Heroes segment. Uh, I'd like to remind everybody that uh, should you want some more baseball history enjoyment throughout the week, you can follow us. On both Twitter and Instagram, we are at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise. We post a lot of on this date stuff, uh, post a lot of just history stuff, as well as comment on some of the stuff that's going on uh, during the week. 
Uh, Mark, you want to uh, maybe uh, do another one of these shows uh, again next week? Maybe we can dive back into some some uh, more traditional baseball. History, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I, I, I think I think I'd like to uh, get back and do a little more of a of a historical show next week. I'm up for that. <laughs> All right. So uh, until next week. Thank you once again for joining us on another edition of Two Strike North. Thank you all. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.